Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you all. Happy Easter. Turn uh, to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one uh, in front of you under the chair. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word today, that you would make our minds and our hearts, uh, fertile ground that can receive from you, God. And we ask, God, that you would reveal yourself to us clearly and specifically, God. And I pray for each one of us, God, that we, uh, if we know you, that our hearts would become more attached to you, God. I pray that if anyone here doesn't, that you would show them clearly who you are today and how much you love them, God. We thank you, God, for the worship that we've already had. Um, What a day to celebrate the resurrection of your son, life over death, that we have new life through his resurrection. Amen. Uh, Well, here we see in 1 Corinthians uh, that probably the clearest, most concise gospel presentation you'll see in the Bible. Two verses. Look with me because I want us to read it in verse 3. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Those are the two verses that give us crystal clear what is the gospel. The gospel means good news. And why is that good news? That Jesus died for our sins. Because it gives us opportunity to have new life. It gives us opportunity to be forgiven of our sins. Notice here what the focus is. In these two verses, the focus is on Jesus Sadly, at times, we've made the gospel more about us than about Jesus. And we focus more about what it does for us than about keeping a focus on Jesus and making sure that he is primary when we discuss the gospel. We've centered it on ourselves instead of on him. And Paul sees this very thing happening with the Corinthians. That's why he says... In the very first verse, he says, Now I would remind you. 
Your version might say declare or make known. It's the same idea. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I mean, remind them of the gospel. Like they actually forgot the gospel. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, how can that be? I mean, did they really forget the gospel? I mean, did they really forget it? Because he says he's reminding them. Well, I think they forgot it <clears throat> um, in this sense. They were taking it for granted. And it was having no impact on them, as we've seen in the previous 14 chapters. They've got some issues going on. And it wasn't having an impact on them. So he wants to remind them about the very thing that they claim to be, followers of Jesus. Listen to this. Some of us need a reminder about the gospel today. Because here's the thing. Uh, we forget the gospel when we get more focused on our own knowledge. Again, it goes back to being centered on ourselves than on Christ. The gospel should always be about Christ. Any definition of the gospel that we have should always have Christ at the center. But what happens to us sometimes, we forget the gospel when we get more focused on our own knowledge. We have the correct theological system. We have the right authors to read. We have the right political party. That's forgetting the gospel. That's thinking more of ourselves. And we can forget the gospel when we get more focused on our own accomplishments. We've got this degree. We've got this great job. You know, we want to shine so others notice and say something. I mean, we're okay with Jesus shining, but what about a little light shining over here? Look at me. Look at what I've done. And we can forget the gospel when we get more focused on our own acts of service. Again, it's focused back on self instead of on Jesus himself. It's the idea of, oh, I do so much, where's everybody else? Or, I do this ministry, and this ministry is the most important. Why isn't everyone else doing it with me? And I also think we can forget the gospel when we get more focused on our own spirituality. You know, we have our own discipline, we have our own self-control. Uh, we have to be careful because that might not be spiritual fruit. That can just be our own doing, a works-based mentality. We can pride ourselves on how we're doing spiritually. And we get so concerned about how we feel we're doing spiritually, we end up, what, ignoring others around us. Again, we're so focused on ourselves, we neglect the very people that God has put in our lives to minister to. So Paul's saying, what happened to the gospel for you? What happened to the gospel? Now, if you're saved... This question is for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, this question is for you. Do you remember the sweetness of the gospel from when you first got saved? Do you remember the sweetness of it? Do you think often upon that sweetness? Or is it just a distant memory? Is it still sweet to you today as the day you first believed? Or is it not? Because here's the truth, friends. It's still just as sweet. It really is. Maybe you've forgotten, but it's still just as sweet. And it's still just as amazing. I mean, think about that. That 
God the Father would send his son, that they would covenant together to send his son to this earth to live the perfect life and, and die for each of us? Like, that's crazy. I mean, when I first was exposed to the, the truth of the gospel and, 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 and I was confronted with it, I would say, I mean, that's what kind of blew my mind away, that like God took a personal interest in me. I mean, there's billions of people in this world, yet he was interested in me and in you and in you and in you and you and you and you and you. He took a personal interest and he did something about the predicament I found myself in, full of sin. He took action. That's amazing. Have you forgotten that? Maybe you have. And the gospel is still just as savory as it was 2,000 years ago. Now today you guys are going to go eat. You'll eat probably a nice lunch or a nice dinner. And you're probably not going to eat that meal rushed in a car getting to your next appointment. I hate when I have to eat in the car. That's when I know I am super slammed and super busy and running out of time because I don't have time to, to slow down for a little bit and actually enjoy my food. It's the worst thing to eat and drive. I hate it. You're probably not going to do that today. You're probably going to sit down with some friends or family, and you're going to enjoy that meal. You're going to savor it. Well, the same is true with the gospel. We should savor the gospel. It's not a meal to be just quickly gobbled up. No, we savor the gospel. And the gospel is the foundation from which we do anything. You tear that away, tear the gospel away, we're left with nothing. Why is that? Because at the foundation of the gospel is Jesus himself. So without the gospel, we don't have Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no cross. Without Jesus, there's no tomb. Without Jesus, there's no empty tomb. Without Jesus, there's no resurrection. Guess what there is? There's death. Well, there's death. Okay? Without Jesus, there's death. There's your death, and there's my death. Jesus is foundational for Christianity. And he is central to the gospel message. Now, in 1 Corinthians, what is being emphasized here are three things that I want us to take note of today. All right? Three things. Go back to verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So the first thing we need to do with the gospel is receive it. What does that mean to receive it? It's initial contact with the gospel where a person hears the gospel, just like you're hearing me right now, and then believes the truth of the gospel. Those two verses right there. Christ died for our sins, in verse 3, accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Those things right there. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, but that is what you'd be receiving. You'd be trusting in Jesus for what he has done for you. We take it as truth, and then we act on that truth. It's what the book of James says. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we recognize it for what it is. True good news about salvation. 
We welcome it. We cherish it. So you trust in what Jesus did for you. Christ died for our sins. We trust that that's what he did. I want you to think about that for a second. If I say uh, Christ died, you might be like, okay. Like, what's the big deal about that? There's been a lot of people that have died in the last 2,000 years. If I said Christ died for you, uh, you still might be like, okay, what's the big deal? Um, I can die for somebody else. I can take a bullet for someone. And that's true. But if I said Christ died for your sins, then, then that is very different. Because guess what? You can't die for someone else's sins. You can't take their place. I can't die for someone else's sins. I can't take their place. There can't be a transference of their sin onto me. So when you say Christ died for our sins, like it says there in verse 3, that is saying that Christ did something and accomplished something that no one else could accomplish for you. So when he was in heaven and he covenanted with his father to come down here, the covenant was that he would live the perfect life. He would meet the exact requirements of the law, a law that none of us have been able to meet. But he would meet those requirements perfectly. And then he would be betrayed by his own people. And he'd be crucified. But on that cross, God would take the sins, your sins, my sins, and put those on Jesus. That's what it means when it says Christ died for our sins. Those sins are on him, and he paid the penalty for those sins through his death. Now, that's great to kind of assert something like that. But is it true? Well, <clears throat> so he's put in the, in the tomb, and three days later, he rises. Well, I'd say that, that someone that makes those claims and makes that covenant with God the Father and then rises from the dead has made a pretty strong assertion that what he's done is true. It's a true thing. The facts back up that everything that he claimed that he did for us, he actually did. The tomb is empty. That's why he goes on in verse 5 and says, and he appeared to Cephas. They all saw him hanging on the cross. Everybody, those who loved him, those who hated him, those who despised him, those who cared for him. So he says, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So he's listing like, hey, these are the witnesses that have seen Jesus. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Okay, so he's making appearances to them after his resurrection. And these disciples, who were scared little chickens beforehand, turn into bold, mighty men and women. They are bold. Well, how would that transformation take place? Because they actually saw Jesus, that he actually rose from the dead. So that transformation takes place in them. So receive. So you've received it then, if you've received the gospel, if you've trusted in Jesus. But once you receive it, you have to do something with it. Okay, you've taken it in, you've accepted it, you've believed it. Then what? 
Well, receiving the gospel is kind of like receiving a pass in a basketball game. Now you got the ball. And in basketball, when someone passes you the ball, there's three things you can do with the ball. You know what those three things are? Shoot, pass, and dribble. All right? You got three things you can do. Shoot, pass, dribble. It's a triple threat. But one thing you can't do is nothing. You can't just stand there with the ball. It doesn't do any good. No points are scored. You got to do something with that ball. The same thing here. When you have the gospel, you got to do something with it. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're redeemed. But God has so much more for you. So much more. So he goes on in verse 1. He says, The gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So the second thing you need to do with the gospel is to stand. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the first verb that we just looked at, received, um, it has a different past tense than the word stand that we're looking at now. The way received is used is of a past event that occurred once, which makes sense, right? You received the gospel. But with stand, the yeast gives the idea of something that happened in the past but is still an ongoing action now. You stood and you are standing for the gospel. So it's not just any standing position, though. The word means to continue firmly or well-established in a particular state. To firmly remain, to continue steadfastly. So stand firm is the idea. It's an active posture that you're taking continually uh, as opposed to sitting or lying down. It's the idea of, of abiding. It is partic participation in something. So how do you stand? You stand firm, and you do that with others, shoulder to shoulder, in community, surrounded by others. When the world shoves, you don't budge. You shove back. When temptation pushes, you push back and say no. When Satan shoves, you take out your sword. You whack off his head. Here's what it says in Romans 5. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So by faith into this grace in which we stand. You're standing in the grace of God by faith. Proverbs says the righteous fall seven times. But what do they do? They get back up. Why do they get back up? Because God lifts them back up, dusts them off, and puts them back on their feet. And he uses others around us to help accomplish that. He helps others around us to keep standing, to support us, to encourage us. It's in community we're able to best stand firm. Finally, Paul says that we are saved, or we are being saved. Now, this verb, unlike the other two, is in the present tense. So it's going on right now. It's a transformation that is currently taking place in you. The focus 
is on what is occurring in you right now. Now, the gospel, if you've received it, will have a transformational effect on your life. So if you've received the gospel, you will be transformed. Because here's the thing. Receiving the gospel, it's not like an external thing that you do. It starts on the internal. So you receive it on the inside. And then it works from the inside out. All right? It's like ingesting some powerful wonder drug. Okay? There will be an effect. There will be an effect. Now here's my question for all my friends here, for all my fellow believers. Is anything occurring currently, is anything occurring currently in your own transformation? Is anything occurring currently in your own transformation? Or did it happen the first few years when you first got saved? And you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. Look, don't be foolish, all right? Uh, I know most of you all in here, all right? You all got a long way to go. <laughs> and so do I. <clears throat> don't fool yourself. Um, the more refined you become, the more transformed you become, the more transformation you realize you need. I mean, sometimes I'm like, God, why do you keep pointing out all my sin in my life? And he's like, because you got a lot I need to point out. All right? And why does he do that? Because he is wanting to see transformation. He wants to see transformation from the inside out. Now, um, when I first got saved, uh, I thought I was a pretty nice guy. I really did. And then I got married. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and I realized, like, what a jerk I am. And then I finally, like, got to the place again where I thought I was a nice guy again. And then I had kids, okay? <laughs> Truth. Truth. All right? It's uh, amazing that uh, my oldest son, Logan, uh, has made it this far, right? It's like, why do people bring out the worst in me? <laughs> well, guess what? It's actually not bringing out the worst, it's just bringing out everything. And everything is kind of worst. Right? Um, we need transformation. I need it. You need it. And I think that the place between standing firm and continuing in your salvation, standing firm and having transformation, standing firm and being sanctified, as we might say, um, I believe between those two things is where most Christians stall out. I think that's where they kind of just slip away. Um, and it happens slowly. It's a slow fade. But somewhere along the way, you become complacent. And you're treading water. And you're content with your lack of growth, with your lack of spiritual movement. Uh, stagnancy has become acceptable to you. And it's become acceptable, and you maybe haven't even realized it, because it's been such a slow fade. And you know, you read your Bible a little bit here, so you don't feel quite guilty, and you pray a little bit there, so you don't feel quite guilty, but you're stalling out. 
And where you're at, by some standards, might be pretty impressive. Uh, even comparing yourselves with other Christians, you might have come quite a ways. But other believers aren't the standard. They're not the standard. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. It's a standard that we don't meet this side of heaven, but it's the standard that God sets before us. And some of us need to stand back up and start having some transformation go on. We need to let God do some surgery in us. We need to let God start working in us again. We already read earlier how this happens in Romans. By faith in the grace given to us. So we have three things listed for us in the gospel living. Received, which for most people is in the past. They've received the gospel. They've trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Standing is something that you started when you first got saved, but you're continuing in it. You're standing firm. And then being saved is a transformation that is currently taking place. You're becoming more like Christ. I want you to notice uh, one more thing in this passage. In the gospel laid out here in this passage, there's no mention of works. There's no mention of works. When he lays it out, look back at verse 3, because I want you to all see this. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. Okay? This is the most important thing, guys. It's really important. It's the first importance. It's the primary thing. And he lays out the gospel and not a mention of works. How is that possible? I mean, if it's essential to the gospel, then you couldn't give a description of the gospel and leave it out. So why does he leave it out? Because salvation is not linked to you being good or doing anything good. You cannot earn your way to heaven. If you try, you'll be deeply disappointed because you, if you are truly honest with yourself, if you're truly honest, you can deceive yourself, but if you're truly honest with yourself, you'll always fall short, even of your own standards that you set for yourself. Most people don't walk around thinking, man, I'm just doing amazing, meeting every standard I set, every goal I achieve. I'm the best parent. I'm the best dad. I'm the best worker. Now, there are some people out there. We need to pray for them. But most people, <clears throat> most people aren't like that. All right? Even the, own st- the standards we set for ourselves, we, don't even, we can't even reach. Okay? And even our own standards are lower than God's standards, usually. We can't even reach our own standards. But thank the Lord that our salvation is not contingent upon reaching the standard. It's not. It's not about works. You can't do one work to get yourself any closer to God. You can't. Okay? There is already one work that was done that you didn't do that doesn't get you a little closer it gets you in complete union with God. And that was the sacrifice of Jesus that he willingly made on your behalf. That's the only work. And someone else did it for you. And if you want to be united with the Father, then you have to humble yourself. It's kind of humbling to admit you can't do it on your own. That someone else did it for you. You've got to get rid of that pride. 
There's a lot of pride that can be there. But you got to get rid of that pride and accept that Jesus is the one, and he's the only one, that he did it already. He already did it. So it's in, it's in him that you can trust for your salvation. He already got it for you. So it comes down to trust. The Bible uses the word faith, but it has the same idea today for us as trust. Trusting in Jesus, that he did the work. That he, when he was hanging on that cross, it was for you and 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 for all of us. And that your sins were placed upon him. And God says that he paid the penalty. The fancy word is propitiation. But he paid the penalty for your sins. And because of that, not because of anything you do, but because of that, the way to the Father is made open through Jesus. What do you have to do? Trust in that work. Not your own work, but trust in that, in the sacrifice on the cross. What shows that it's true? The empty tomb. The risen Savior. He defeated death. And you, because of that, can defeat death in him. You can have victory over the grave. Listen, one day, one day, all our time is going to come up. And Psalm 31 says, My times are in your hands. Some of us, it's going to come a lot sooner than we even think it might. But our time will come, and it will come quicker than any of us think it will. And Job, in chapter 14, says, Man's days are determined. You, God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So that day is going to come for each one of us. And we're going to be before God, and we're going to have to account for our sin, for the things we've done. And one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to have to pay the penalty, or you're going to have someone who already paid the penalty for you. So one of two people has to pay that penalty, the penalty for your sins. And Romans says is death. But it's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual death. It's an eternal separation from God forever in hell. And that's awful. But there's an escape. And let me tell you this. You don't trust just for some cheap fire insurance. Okay? You don't trust just because you don't want to go to hell. You trust because you are thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, for each one of you. You trust because this God took a personal interest in each one of you, a personal interest. It still it, it blows my mind to this day that God would want to have a relationship with me like this almighty, all-powerful, omniscient God he, he wants to, to know me. And he already knows me, right? Because he's omniscient. He knows all things. But he wants me to know him. That, that is just mind-blowing. But what a privilege 
to be able to know the Father. And that is a privilege that he extends to each person in this room, that you can know God personally. Man, take hold of that privilege. If you're in here and you don't know the Father, man, I encourage you today, just like Paul was talking about here in Corinthians, let this be the day that you received him. For you, maybe it hasn't even happened yet. Receive. Receive it. Let this be the day for you. Let it be the present for you. Receive what Christ has to offer you, the gift of salvation. Okay, he paid it all for you, so trust in him. It is a beautiful thing. You will savor the good news. You will savor the gospel, and you will savor what he has done for you. And it's offered freely to everyone in here. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. And I pray for each of us now. God, you know exactly where we're at. You know all things. You know the condition of our life. You know the condition of our hearts. So I ask God that you would continue to speak to us. Reveal yourself to us. I pray for my fellow believers, Lord, that they would stand firm, that they would be transformed. And for those maybe that have been sitting down or lying down, that they would stand back up, God, they'd join the fight again, that they wouldn't be complacent, they'd throw that off, God. Lord, have your way with us, each one of us. And I pray, Lord, for those here that maybe haven't received you yet, I pray you'd give them the gift of faith. That right now, Lord, that they would trust in you for the forgiveness of sins. That they would believe in you, that you died on the cross and you took their sins and paid the penalty. That you would give them the new life that is available only through you. If anyone wants to make that decision today to receive Jesus, to trust in him, can you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody here? Okay, one hand. Thank you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with that person to trust you, that you would do your work, that they'd receive the gift of salvation now. Your word says that you cleanse them of their sins. And your word says that the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Thank you, God. Lord, go before us today. May we be light in the darkness. May we glorify you. 
in our conversations, in our actions, in our thoughts, Lord, with the different people we interact with today. May we be ministers of your mercy and grace for your glory. Amen.